Objections Overruled 1 and 2 audiobooks are produced by Lutheran Public Radio and are made possible with support from listeners like you. You can contribute to the production of future audiobooks at issuesetc.org support. Look for Objections Overruled 3 in December of 2023. First century people were primitive. Craig A. Parton The belief that first-century people were primitive is illogical, untrue, and unhistorical. The claim that new things are necessarily better fails to judge things on their own merits. Human nature and society have not changed significantly over time, and most great human ideas were already circulating in the first century. If Christian ideas were primitive, they would not have been the force behind revolutionary developments in healthcare, education, science, and the arts. A current objection to the Christian position is that primitive first-century people recorded primitive events and concocted an equally primitive morality. Primitive people sacrificed their children to appease bloodthirsty imagined gods. They treated diseases with toxic remedies and vacuous incantations. People had limited means to travel, which created almost impermeable geographic zones of ignorance and limited contact. They lacked the cross-pollinating of ideas so crucial for progress and advances of science. They did not have the scientific answers or explanations we moderns have. Direct application of this to Christianity is obvious. Backwards, first-century uneducated fishermen, also known as the Apostles, gave birth to backward ideas. They described events unusual to them in necessarily miraculous terms. Thus, Jesus rose from the dead. People had no other way to make sense of the event by explanations like mass hallucinations or principles of magic known now. David Copperfield can make the Statue of Liberty disappear, so why not make a single man appear to be alive again? This argument is logically fallacious, factually vacuous, and historically unsupportable. The argument is logically fallacious. The idea that first-century people were primitive is known as the chronological fallacy in logic. It is also known in layman's term as the myth of progress or chronological snobbery. It is the belief that, intellectually, humanity languished for countless generations in the most childish errors on all sorts of crucial subjects until it was redeemed by some simple scientific dictum of the last century. From History in English Words by Owen Barfield. In his autobiography, Surprised by Joy, Cambridge scholar C.S. Lewis realized he was guilty of it. Why, damn it, it's medieval, I exclaimed, for I still had all the chronological snobbery of my period and used the names of earlier periods as terms of abuse. This idea that new is necessarily better is understandable in our technologically changing world. The most recent smartphone or digital device is indeed more advanced than the last version. Some things are better today than they were 2,000 years ago. Take dentistry or anesthesia or plumbing. But apply those same standards to architecture, where is the modern equivalent of the Parthenon in Athens or the Colosseum in Rome? Art, is there a Rembrandt, Titian, or Vermeer to be found? And music, the Dead Kennedys, my personal favorite, Jello Biafra versus Palestrina, Polyphony, and Bach's Mass in B minor. New is not necessarily better.
nor, to the contrary, is old necessarily better than new. We've always done it this way, so it must be the right way. Each claim must be checked out and verified on its own merits. The argument is factually vacuous. First-century people were like us in many ways, intellectually and psychologically as well as emotionally. The first-century New Testament has people doing the same activities we do today, eating, drinking, sleeping, getting married, singing, committing crimes, joking, weeping, having babies, engaging in arguments and riots, and dying and being buried. Additionally, many central ideas and moving intellectual forces of our day were already on the scene by the end of the first century. Standard listings of the most influential people who ever lived include many from the first century or earlier. Jesus Christ, Buddha, Confucius, Aristotle, Alexander the Great, and the Apostle Paul. The foundations of mathematics, philosophy, and literature were already present in the golden age of 5th to 4th century BC, Greece. The world's major religions, save for Islam, were already thriving. By the first century, the world had known Plato, Aristotle, and Socrates. Professional medicine had begun, Hippocrates. Literature and lyric poetry had already produced groundbreaking works, Homer's The Iliad and The Odyssey, Ovid's Metamorphoses, Horace's Odes. The discipline of history had come forth in Thucydides and Plutarch. Dramatic theater was being explored, see the plays of Sophocles and Aeschylus and the brilliant comedies of Aristophanes. The foundations of modern botany were laid, Thephrastus. The Middle East of the first century was at the confluence of both Latin and Greek civilizations. As a citizen of the Roman Empire and a user of its famed road system, the Apostle Paul was in regular contact with foreign ideas. Note, for example, his confrontation with Greek philosophers on Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17. Paul's extensive missionary journeys took him to numerous Greek and Latin centers. Multilingual in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek, the main writer of the New Testament epistles was a broadly educated intellectual force and an astute reader of the philosophical ideas of his day. In short, first-century Palestinian man was hardly a Neanderthal. Maybe, not having a mobile device, Netflix and YouTube meant he was less distracted from thinking deeply and profoundly. The argument is historically unsupportable. If first-century New Testament man was primitive, then we should reasonably expect first-century Christianity's cultural results to be primitive. This is hardly the case. From Neanderthals come stone tools and clubs at best. The superstitions of indigenous peoples led, for example, to failure to develop a sustainable water supply. Infant mortality rates were staggering. From primitive societies necessarily come primitive ideas. Instead, however, the supposedly primitive first-century biblical writers set the stage for the rise of modern medicine, the modern university, modern science, and the flourishing of the arts. Christianity's God was incarnate in real history, a Savior who administered healing to the sick and infirmed. This gave birth to modern medicine and the establishment of the first hospitals, including care for the mentally ill. The church-run convent gave rise to the profession of nursing, which was greatly reformed and advanced by the efforts of Florence Nightingale, a devout Christian. The Red Cross has its origins in Christianity. Christians are also credited for the beginning of orphanages and homes for the elderly. 
the Ecumenical Council of the Christian Church at Nicaea in 325 directed the bishops to establish a hospice in every city that had a cathedral. Christianity introduced the idea of the value of all human beings and the need to care for the least of these. Matthew chapter 25, verse 40. Christianity has valued the life of the mind from its inception and put a unique emphasis on universal education. The so-called humanist renaissance was led almost solely by solidly believing and educated Christians, Dante, Da Vinci, Michelangelo, Erasmus, Thomas More, John Collett. It was truly a Christian movement centered in the rediscovery of classical antiquity and the in-depth study of the original languages of the Bible. Monasteries developed the liberal arts approach to education, and the reformers pushed for universal education so the laity might read the Bible themselves. Christians started the first kindergartens and developed schools for the deaf using sign language. Christian Louis Braille developed the system of raised dots so the blind could read. There is also a long and distinguished history of serious Christian involvement in scientific enterprise. Alfred North Whitehead, the renowned philosopher of science, goes so far as to say that the origin of science required Christianity's insistence on the rationality of God. Christianity distinguished the Creator from the creation while still retaining the view that creation was good, even if not one with God. This removed the pagan and Greek tendency to deify nature. The number of Christians involved in serious scientific pursuits is legion. It includes Francis Bacon, the practical creator of scientific induction, Nicholas Copernicus, who proposed the heliocentric theory, Tycho Brahe, who discovered a new comet and built an observatory, Johannes Kepler, who discovered the elliptical movement of the planets, developed and confirmed three astronomical laws, was the first scientist to define weight as the mutual attraction between two bodies, and was instrumental in establishing the heliocentric theory, Galileo, the first to use the telescope and who observed, among other things, lunar mountains, Blaise Pascal, who discovered that barometric pressures vary with different altitudes, Isaac Newton, who discovered the law of gravity and invented calculus independently of Leibniz, who was also a Christian believer, Robert Boyle, who discovered Boyle's law, namely that the volume of gas varies inversely with its pressure, Michael Faraday, who discovered electromagnetic induction, Louis Pasteur, who founded microbiology, and Gregor Mendel, who laid the foundation for modern genetics. The so-called primitive ideas of first-century Christians also provided the foundation for the arts and music to flourish. Biblical theology gives strong encouragement to develop the creative artistic gifts of the individual both to the glory of God and to the edification of his brother. The Western tradition in art and music is an endless list of artists, musicians, works, and genres. For example, Bach, Mendelssohn, Brahms, Dürer, Rembrandt, Rouen, the cathedrals of Europe, cantatas, plain song, and polyphonic and classical music. This list is unexplainable in the absence of the primitive ideas of the New Testament writers. Ideas indeed have consequences. The world has yet to know an atheist leper colony or an agnostic orphanage. Atheism and scientific materialism provide no intellectual foundation for combating human misery. What is, is. Eastern religions are characterized by the doctrine of karma and belief in withdrawing from desire and the temptations of this world. 
Contrary to this are the first-century New Testament writers. Their ideas have been in the forefront of the development of all means to attack and relieve human suffering. They established the foundations of universal education and scientific advancement and furthered the flourishing of the arts. Will the real primitive please stand up? It is sometimes thought that we live in the apex of civilization. The facts suggest this is not the case. Though we live in the most advanced of times in many ways, sadly, the respect for basic human rights throughout the world is objectively deplorable. Just one illustration of this fact. There are more people subject today to slavery and trafficking than any time in the history of the world. We would, therefore, do well to listen to the primitive New Testament. It says the world does not need more good advice, it needs good news. The good news is that God is there and is not silent, and that He promises a new life to those who repentantly come to Him. That corrective of a new heart is grounded in the forgiveness of sins won by Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. It is verified by the many infallible proofs, Acts chapter 1 verse 3, King James Version, of His factual resurrection from the dead. It is a solution that we all, as primitives under the law, Romans chapter 3 verse 9, would do well to consider.